My name is Marina Carr and I'm a playwright. My name is Rachel West. I'm a director. I went to school in the Sacred Heart School in Tullamore. Um, first discovered Shakespeare there. Uh, a wonderful English teacher called Miss O'Farrell. And she taught us The Merchant of Venice. And she'd come in quoting and she used to make us write down the speeches and she'd teach us a new word every day. And I still remember passages from The Merchant of Venice, for example. In Belmont is a lady richly left and she is fair and fairer than that word of wondrous virtue. Sometimes from her eyes I did receive fair speechless messages. Her name is Portia. Nothing undervalued to Cato's daughter or Brutus's Portia. Nor is the wide world ignorant of her worth. For the four winds blow in from every coast. Renowned suitors. <laughs> I think my first encounter with Shakespeare was when I was four. Um, my father was an English teacher and used to collect me and bring me into the back of the class if he was showing anything kind of visual. So I saw the Mayor of Casterbridge and I saw Tess of the D'Urbervilles, but I also saw Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. And I remember really well just watch, sitting at the very back and with all these other sort of, I guess they were first or second year students. I was obsessed with this character, Portia, in The Merchant of Venice, and uh, subsequently wrote a play called Portia Coughlin, which was completely, not only the name, but thematically, and um, the idea of, of, of this woman with all the suitors. And she's quite a formidable character. You know, she's vicious. She's vicious to Shylock. I mean, I don't think she's a heroine at all, really. She's quite horrible. She's, she's as vicious as Shylock is looking for his pound of flesh. I mean, she's determined to get her revenge on him, forcing him to become a Christian and taking all his money and his goods. And she's absolutely no mercy. And of course, one of the great mercy speeches is in The Merchant of Venice as well. The quality of mercy is not strained. It drop it as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blessed him that gives and him that takes. It is mightier than etc. It's actually a play now. I didn't realise it then, but now it's a play, I think, about the absolute absence of mercy. There's none. It's not my favourite play. No, I've so many. I think, uh, well, you know, it depends on your mood with Shakespeare. Um, Anthony and Cleopatra would be a huge one for me, as would Macbeth. Uh, Hamlet, obviously. Who doesn't love Hamlet? Um, uh, the Tempest. Uh, Richard II, Richard III, Henry V. I mean, it goes on and on. Cymbeline. But you could spend your lifetime reading Shakespeare. I went to Trinity College and I studied German and drama. And um, at that time, Players was a very busy place, but also the drama department equally so. And I suppose my combination of German and, ger and drama led me to leave Ireland fairly. Actually, during my degree, I went to Berlin and I also went to Munich and I worked in Munich um, in a theatre where I got, basically I worked front of house and I had free tickets and I saw Dieter Dorn and all these Peter Zadek and Peter Stein productions in Munich at the time. And then I, when I went to Berlin later, I um, eventually became an assistant in the Schaubühne, which was Peter Stein's theatre um, at that time. Thomas Ostermeyer hadn't, hadn't come yet. And for me, that was an absolute mecca. I mean, that's what I went there to do. I went to Berlin to work in the Schaubühne and I 
dogged them until I got a position as an assistant director. I like Anthony and Cleopatra because they're just incredibly charismatic characters, both of them. They say Cleopatra is his greatest female creation. I would agree. I think Lady M would give her a run for her money, but I think Cleopatra surpasses her in terms of the depth and breadth of her character. Also, I suppose, because it's a great love story and it's incredibly it's incredibly passionate telling of, of an old story of people who, who existed in myth or in, well, in history and uh, Cleopatra, well, nobody's quite sure who she is. But his, his understanding of women is fascinating. I just love that line, give me some music, music, moody food of us that trade in love. Isn't that wonderful? That's Cleopatra. And she, she just goes on, it's just a fabulous line when she says where she sold Anthony down the Swanee and he comes in, he's having a fit and big tantrum and she just looks at him and she says not know me yet <laughs> you think it's fantastic of course I'm going to sell you down the swanee if I have to doesn't mean I don't love you um, and I just love the complexity of, of, of this relationship and this is uh, Anthony when uh, he's turned the ships to follow her and he calls her Egypt like Egypt I'm dying and you know, when he's about to die, he says, give me some wine and let me speak. And she says, no, 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 let me speak. I mean, he, the man is dying and she won't let him get a word in edgeways. But this is, uh, just to show you, Egypt, thou knewest too well my heart was to thy rudder tied by the strings and thou shouldst tow me after. My favourite Shakespeare play is still Othello. I did it for my leaving cert. I played Desdemona. David Wilmot played Iago. Jason Stein played Othello. <laughs> Because the three of the three main roles are kind of on stage a lot of the time, I just remember feeling completely immersed and submerged in the words and the action. And David was an amazing Iago, and it was a really tiny theatre. And it was I don't even remember if any. I mean, obviously the others came to see it, but uh, I remember feeling really overwhelmed, but able to master the language. I did Macbeth for my leaving cert. <laughs> there are many great speeches in Macbeth, as we all know. Um, the two, well, Lady Macbeth, the raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits, attend on mortal thoughts and sex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top fall of direst cruelty, make thick my blood etc. goes on and on. But the one I absolutely adore, and I think it's many people's favourite as well, is when um, he's told that Lady M is dead and he says she should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. It's just, what can you do except, you know, genuflect? Another favourite would have to be Hamlet. I'm sure that's been chosen many a time before. Just the, the complexity of it and the political depths and intrigue that happens and the brilliance of putting a play within a play (laughs) that you've got this sort of light deflecting the play within the play but also Rosencrantz and Guildenstern happening at a time when everything else is pretty bleak and black. I mean, it's, it's better than 
the bridge or <laughs> if you want a Scandi Noir, it's all there. And thinking back also to a long time ago when I saw Ophelia in the Tate lying in the water with the flowers around her and she's always sort of remained a character that I thought I loved so much and yet when I worked on a Hamlet production I felt it was much more what she inspires in everybody around her and particularly Gertrude but also the brother-sister relationship and when she walks in and she is deranged and there's this moment where they're all watching her and they see maybe their own madness reflected in them but also just the demise of this beautiful lovely girl who had so much potential and Laertes says oh heat dry up my brains tears seven times salt burn out the sense and virtue of mine eyes by heaven thy madness shall be paid by weight till our scale turn the beam O rose of may dear maid kind sister sweet ophelia O heavens is it possible a young maid's wits should be as mortal as an old man's life Nature is fine in love, and where it is fine, it sends some precious instance of itself after the thing it loves. Fare you well, my dove, says Ophelia. Hadst thou thy wits and didst persuade revenge, it could not move thus. And she goes on to sing her down, down, and you call him down. And I just think the the lost potential, the love between brother and sister, the love that could have been possible between Hamlet and Ophelia, and also... Gertrude, almost like her daughter-type relationship with Ophelia, you can see that it's all just sort of dissolving in front of everyone. And I always find it a very tragic moment. Oh, yeah. Gertrude's speech for uh, Ophelia. There is a willow grows scant the brook that shows his hoary leaves in the glassy stream. There with fantastic garlands did she make of crowflowers, nettles, daisies and long purples that liberal shepherds give a grosser name. But our cold maids do dead men's fingers call them. There on the pendant boughs, her crowned weeds clambering to hang. An envious sliver broke when down her weedy trophies and herself fell in the weeping brook. Her clothes spread wide and mermaid-like a while they bore her up. Which time she chanted snatches of old lords as one incapable of her own distress. Or like a creature native and endued unto that element. But long it could not be to let her garments, heavy with their drink, pull the poor wretch from her melodious lay to muddy death. Then Laertes says, alas, then she is drowned. And Gertrude says, drowned, drowned. And then Laertes says, too much of water hast thou, poor Ophelia, and therefore I forbid my tears. I mean, it's just the spin again you know we just carry it on it's beautiful the best thing about Shakespeare as a director is that you're just never done your job as a director is never done and I think you can just go in and pour yourself over the words and find another way to bring it forward or to change it or, or to adapt it and having done my training in an area where it's called where the director is seen as the author of the evening much more so than the writer and not to to vie with the writer in any way but to to for instance to look at classics like Shakespeare and to continually strive to make them relevant and to bring them forward in new light and re-understand Shakespeare and I think only classics like Shakespeare can manage and they can transcend 
different readings and still be as a total wonderful, wonderful pieces of writing. There's one scene that's really haunting as well in Anthony and Cleopatra. It's very simple. It's the two soldiers and um, it's about the demise of Anthony, really. And they're just they're just marching up and down the stage and they, they hear the hot boys underneath the stage, if you remember that scene, and the hot boys would be like the sound of an ur oboe, like what an oboe was before it was an oboe. And they, say, they keep saying, what is that sound? And, uh, and it's quite plain, actually, but it's just the juxtaposition of the music with the dialogue and what they're speaking about. The way Anthony's becoming, you know, a fallen god, really. And the soldiers are on the stage and they're talking about um, this music. They hear the music of the hot boys is under the stage. And the soldier says, peace, what noise? And the other soldier says, list, list. And the soldier says, hark. And the other soldier says, music in the air. The soldier says, under the earth. And the other soldier says, it signs well, does it not? Soldier, no. The other soldier, peace, I say, what should this mean? And then the other soldier says, tis the god Hercules whom Anthony loved. Now leaves him. And that's in Act 4, Scene 3, and again, and then just leads to the whole demise of Anthony. And it's just the, the situation and just the lightness of touch and the, the beauty of it. I mean, there are all the great famous passages that we all love, but even in when he does something simple, it's, um, was it uh, Nureyev said, you know, the trick is not to make something interesting look extraordinary, but it's to make something simple look interesting. My parents met through Shakespeare and uh, my mum was playing Audrey and my father was playing Touchstone in the Lantern Theatre. That's kind of one of the family family lore. <laughs> That's how they met. Um, this was the other speech, I, I mean there's so much in Hamlet as well, but the other Hamlet one I adore is uh, Rosencrantz and Gilderstern is sent to spy on him by Claudius and he, Hamlet of course is so wise he's on to them straight away so he takes out a, a flute or a pipe or the flute says he says to Gilderstern um, will you play upon this pipe and Gilderstern says my lord I cannot and Hamlet says I pray you and Gilderstern believe me I cannot Hamlet I do beseech you Gilderstern I know no touch of it, my lord. And Hamlet said, it is as easy as lying. Govern these vintages with your fingers and thumb. Give it breath with your mouth. And it will discourse most eloquent music. Look you, these are the stops. Gildernstern, but these cannot I command to any utterance of harmony. I have not the skill. Hamlet, why? Look you now how unworthy a thing you make of me. You would play upon me. You would seem to know my stops. You would pluck out the heart of my mystery. You would sound me from my lowest note to my compass. And there is much music, excellent voice in this little organ. Yet cannot you make it speak. It's blood, do you think I'm easier to be played on than a pipe? Call me what instrument you will. Though you fret me, you cannot play upon me. Isn't it stunning? If I had to pick a favourite, Oh, a favourite line, a favourite speech. I couldn't, I just couldn't. 